0: Patta acknowledges the custodians and elders past and present of the land on which we work, practice, rehearse, perform and present across Australia. We pay respect to the cultural authority and traditions of the land. The first peoples of this nation express their culture through music, dance and storytelling and it is a privilege to continue a tradition of storytelling and performance in this country. We acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first Australians and traditional custodians of the lands where we live, learn and work. exploration of culture con- connection and the performing arts. Our guest was Yugambeh Yarrabil Gingen songwoman Candice Kruger, Kumbumary and Nugi woman, choir master for the Yugambeh Youth Choir and director of the Yugambeh Youth Aboriginal Corporation, head of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspectives at Beanley High School, Griffith University PhD candidate, author of the Yugambeh Tolga, composer, mother and song weaver and composer of the AMEB online orchestra song for 2021. We spoke to Candice uh, just a couple of days before the AMEB online orchestra song came out called Morning Star and Evening Star, a very important song to her. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Jingery Candice Kruger. Jingery hello Jennifer and hello everyone who's listening today. Oh, thank you very much for joining us. I usually start by asking uh, where you're from and where you grew up. So I'll let you take that over, Candice. Um, so, Balgwabutra,
1: good morning, or whatever time you're looking for this, it's lovely to have you see you, Jingri Jimbalangwalu, my many friends. So, I'm sitting here on the Gold Coast today, and this is actually my country as well. So, I'm a Kumbha Nugi Noogie woman, Kumbhmeri of the Gold Coast, um, South Port Narang region, and Noogie of Morton Island. So, my grandfather, who was born on an Aboriginal mission, a Myra mission, under a um, tree on Stradbroke Island um, is actually from a traditional marriage line, uh, his parents, one being he and one being Cumber Mary. And, yeah, so um, I have actually travelled around Australia for um, about 11 years with my husband's career and we had a great time around Australia. But it was I um, grew up around this region and up around Logan where my parents lived for a little while as well when I was a kid growing up and spent most of my holidays down here on the Gold Coast and on our oyster banks and on country and um, learning lots of Aboriginal culture that I didn't even know that I was really learning at the time. It was just a way of life.
0: Right. So... um you didn't grow up knowing much about your culture or was language and culture a big part of your youth growing up? So um, there's no disconnect in the knowledge that's being
1: passed on to my family, but there have been some little interruptions along the way. So, for example, my grandfather was born in a mission and there. Um, and there would have been um language wasn't allowed to be spoken too much. Uh, there was still plenty of stories that were passed on. You know, it's really interesting. I've talked to my father about language and then and I will go to say a word and he'll say, Oh, you're saying that wrong. And I'll say, I thought you didn't know too much language, but he certainly heard it. And you know, um, because we spent a lot of time on Strabo Island and um, on North and South Stroboak Island as as part of our um, familial family lands as well, um, you know, we learnt bush care management and what the plans were, plants were and um, the stories of the land. And, and, but but you don't really think of it as growing up as, oh, I'm learning Aboriginal culture. Yep. So that's, that's the difference when um, when, I, when I say, you know, I didn't really recognise that that's what I was learning. It was more, I think, um, I've told this story a few times before, but I... When I was um, doing science in high school, you know, we were doing a, um, a cross section of the beach on Stradbroke, and we were the teacher was digging up pippies, and I'm going, "Oh, that's no, not called a pippy. That's I don't know what you're calling it. It's a yuguri." And not really realizing that I was using the Aboriginal word for what a pippy is, because that's all I knew it as. So there are plenty of times when I have known. Um, the stories and the narratives, but then moving forward to actually try to reconnect some of the parts that I lost, particularly in the field of wanting to sing Language Alive, I've really had to go on an incredible journey to rediscover, research, find all the pieces of the puzzle and put them all back together.
0: Uh, and that's very much what you are as a, a song woman, and that's what you've become. Um, but mm. how did you because uh, you weren't always a songwoman, of course so how did you start in the performing arts or music how did how did you begin um so I've you know played the piano and the flute
1: since I was five and seven it was just uh, my dad was a teacher and it was something that he wanted his kids to get in their life um fast forward to I went to John Paul College at high school and we did so many performing arts opportunities and I was a marching band captain when I was grade 12 and I'd always um, I'd play the piano for assemblies at school and um and it, you know it was a really small school at the time in Logan and then um I went off to university and did a music degree and then fell in love with uh after that didn't really know what I was going to do and um tried my hand at primary music teaching and really fell in love with it and for you know 20 23 24 years of my 26 years of teaching I've been a primary school music teacher and I have loved it really passionately loved it um it's probably really when the um we went in 2012 with one of my schools to the world choir games what? and when we were over there I was watching you know countries singing different languages in their heritage language Chinese children singing in Mandarin and i really it was incredible and i realized that i knew songs because if we look at my side career along the side of that as well so the yugan museum which um, language and heritage center in Beanley, which was um, founded under the kumbha aboriginal corporation for culture that was my grandfather and my father and their cousins and, and family members and they used to meet at my parents' house because it was halfway between Brisbane and the Gold Coast as I was a kid growing up while they were doing all of that. And we'd gather as families, you know, two and three times a year and I'd see hundreds of people. Um, So i would know these incredible family cultural connection lines and we'd always be listening and learning about culture. And Mm -hmm. um, really probably what forced where I am as a songwoman was... um, my my family um, so my grandfather and my father and and, and other fa- lots of other family members went and did a went and spoke with linguist dr Margaret sharp and a few others um, in when I was in year 11 in 1988 and they did a language workshop for three days and one of Margaret's PhD students Margaret Gumau, was there at the time and asking did people know about songs because that's what she was doing collecting but they didn't really know her and and they didn't give her songs that they knew and they didn't sit down and have those discussions and I didn't really connect until a lot later in life that they were really waiting for me because I've done so much music and I was always doing music at school that they were well why do we give it to this lady when we can just wait a little bit more and we can get Candace to do it so I've really been set up to be a song woman very early on when they noticed what I was doing in music and that I had an interest there and then um, fast forward that and it was probably uh, just as I was finishing my primary music degree in about 94, 95, something like that, that um, Annie Patricia O'Connor and um, Isola Best, her sister, who's now passed, but Patricia's still with us, um, they sat me down and they said, well, we've got a little research project for you. And I didn't really, really think much of it at the time, but I went and collected songs. And um, that was the song, one in particular, the very first one that I collected was my grandfather's sister, Lily. Eton and we're launching it in two days time on the 1st of October with Amy B and so I've had that story song line for 24 years but it was so significant and so important and it didn't have the melody Lottie knew it was a song it had been sung to her her whole life but she was a very old lady when she told it to me she couldn't remember the melody anymore so she was basically saying you're the custodian of this song now and you need to consider how you're going to move it forward. So that's being launched in two days' time and I'll tell a further more narrative about that. I was literally just watching the video that was dropped to me just before I came on with you going, I'm so excited. Oh, congratulations. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's really huge. And then at the same time, you know, as we fast-forward um The manuscript that I wrote then was published into Yulamir Talga in 2005 and a few additional little songs and things were added, which is why the elders are on the front of the book as well, because they were at the museum working and I was um, actually director of music at Knox Grammar Preparatory School in Sydney at the time. So it was pretty exciting when I opened my mail at work and I opened my book and I didn't even know it was being published because (laughs) they wanted it to be such a surprise and it really was. and then we were back home by 2007, I mean back home on the Gold Coast and back on country. And so um, the, at the same time, the Yuleman Museum had a festival once, the Provo, and so that was when I was first invited to do a song workshop. So from the beginning of 2007, I was doing a song workshop every year and then that was when the music teachers that I was you know, while I'm conducting bands and choirs at school and directing musicals and we're performing at the um, Gold Coast of Stedford, you've got a network of teachers. And then as Indigenous perspectives are um, being placed into the Australian curriculum and this is what we have to teach, you know, um, people that know that I'm out there doing just once a year a little workshop or just something for the teachers within my region and I've just freely given my time and then people are saying, well, Candy, we have to put this into history you know, into our classrooms now. So, what yep. do you know? What can you, t- what can you tell us? And then, then also that epiphany moment in 2012, when I realised that I could form um, an Aboriginal children's choir to see who wanted to learn culture through song. What did I have to share? I only had a handful of songs to begin with. And within 18 months to two years, the kids soaked those up and went, well, what's next? We want more. So, and at the same time, classroom teachers were saying, what have you got? We need to learn something. So now, it's not as easy as one would think to just turn around and pop out Aboriginal songs into <laughs> national curriculum because the elders need to approve this and they need to give, um, you know, their protocols and permissions are, are difficult and it's, I went and did my Masters of Arts research because I wanted to demonstrate um, the benefits that were afforded to Aboriginal children when they were singing in choir. And it was just the judge and the children that gave me um, their information, and it was really amazing and beneficial, and there were five great things. And that, that thesis is called In the Bora Renewable Language and Song Project, and it's just a thesis sitting in the group of library that anyone can read. Um, and I have one chapter published in a Rutledge Handbook of Festivals. But then um, when I was considering starting my PhD, I really really didn't want to do it because I knew how much work it would be. (laughs) But it was more about the fact that I've been invited so often to talk about what I'm doing and where this is going. And I really thought that I needed to talk with authority and I needed to have evidence, research evidence behind me. So, um, as soon as I finished my master's, the Griffith University just signed me straight up for my PhD. And I thought initially that it would be about um, the workshops that I give teachers, but I realized that I needed to take a step back because whenever I do a workshop, it's all oral. And I'm, I allow people to film me and go and teach in their classroom because that's how I coach it. But then I realized that it really wasn't enough because I couldn't be everywhere. We were doing all these online lessons at that point in time either. You know, COVID hadn't hit and everybody wasn't online. Yep. Yeah, that was that moment that I, well, my PhD actually needs to be about the creation of resources that teachers can use in their classrooms, in their choirs, um, and not just teachers, then community, anybody in community, um, community choirs or community orchestras or whoever can then begin to participate in um looking at and investigating what Aboriginal culture is, and even if it's just one song and one narrative that you learn about a region and the language words, then you've really contributed to a deeper understanding of the land's language. And the land I'm not always going to be here, but the land will be and the nature and the narrative of what's here will always be here. So we have to protect it, we have to know it, and we have to understand it. And um, it's, you know, there are some songs that I teach that are actually, you know, one really simple one. Wega, wega, my little joven joven are you. It's just the granny calling out, children, children, where are you? And the children responding with collecting grumps, granny. And it's a food source narrative about when the grannies actually used to take the children out they would go all the way down to the beach, and they would dig for their yuvaries, and they would smash them together. And then they would have a little bit of food and bait, and then they would fish. And then they would pull the fish in as they walked up the beach. The beautiful pink, hot pink um, flower that you see, the pig face, the newly plant. They would, um, you can eat the bulb and the green leaves. So they would have something to eat. And then you would go a little bit further over the dune and you'd peel back the bark from the tree and you'd have in your paper bark, you'd have grubs. Um, And then you'd have a meal over the hot fire. You'd have ugaris and fish and um, your grubs from the tree, your jubble, and then you'd have your newly dessert. All in just to a call and response, really. you in that one call and response, we've learnt an entire food source. And yep. just by listening to me now, you've just I saw your face light up when you realised that you could eat because these are things that you learn. Um, and so it's all really, really important that it's not singing language alive, but it's singing narrative alive. And I really use music as the vehicle to do all of that for culture.
0: Yes. Oh, my goodness, Candace, you are just a phenomenon. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, what, what you do is, because um, I'm Māori and from New Zealand, and so it's the same thing in our songs. Our songs are, are, are the same thing, telling a story and uh, about where you're from, who your people are, your tribe's stories, um, and that's all things you learn through song. Um, it's a it's a wonderful way to learn so um, when do you teach to all Aboriginal t- children do other children join your choir? So I opened the choir
1: up to anybody that was identified as Aboriginal and/or Torres Strait Islander students um, and it, I and yeah I've had probably and I would have taught 60. Children and families and and people over a lot of time. COVID is difficult because we haven't had choir for a little while. We've just had three persons recently. We've got a performance coming this weekend, and then we've got um, at Hotter, at Home of the Arts on the Gold Coast, and then we've also got um, the Bleach Festival coming up where we'll actually get to sing Morning Star and Evening Star as a premier live performance. Wow. And it's what's really interesting is um, when I first opened choir, um, I didn't have I had no one for the first three months and i just thought i'd wait and i just kept advertising um as much as i could and it was free to join and i was giving my time for free and then we had one or two and there was one one or two little girls who just had a great time with me because it was just them and i (laughs) for a couple of weeks and by about five six months i had 10 kids and then we did a performance and it was at that first performance that i had other family members who knew what I was doing but hadn't really gone, oh, I should take my own kids there because we do know a little bit of culture, um, then went, oh, look at what she's got. And so then we performed at the 2015 NRL Indigenous All-Stars. We did the National Anthem in the Bear Language and it was another song. And it was that moment in time I would have had 35 kids there, different different sort of, you know, 35 at a well, half of the same 35 that I have now regularly as Kids That Perform. And that was the moment that people really realised that this was quite a viable group. And I've had other local um, choirs choirs, say to me, how is it that you get performance gigs all the time? You know, we've been at our choir for 20 years and we know the regular same things, but you're popping up at major conventions and, and all of these other things. And I said, but who doesn't want to sing, see an Aboriginal child sing an Aboriginal language of the region that they're on? It's authentic and it's lovely to see. And But it's not um, not all the kids are Yugambeh or like from the Yugambeh language region or identify as being from here. What's really important is that um, so if we're singing a song, if we're singing about two men walking um, from down south, Tweed heads, Evans, head, um, Evans headway, to walk up to there to get themselves a wife, we talk, we stamp our feet and we say, Yonba lela, going walking. So all of a sudden, the kids that are from somewhere else, Camilleroy or, um, or just a different region altogether, they'll then go, well, if... Um, Young Balayla is walking in Yugambeh, what is it in Kamilaroi language? What is it in Kapadun language? So by hearing it in one, they're asking the question, what is it in their language? Because a lot of these kids have grown, been born here and grown up on Yugambeh country and will always live here. But it's a different way to connect them to culture um, mm-hmm. by participating. Also, it, it's, there's another that thing that's what's really real and tangible is Aboriginal kids getting to know other Aboriginal kids. Because I might not look like what you typically consider to be an Aboriginal woman, but you know, these cheekbones and the small back of my head and my son's broad-barrel chest and, and, and the, the really resonant sound and roundness of my face, these are all Aboriginal people in my region. You know, um, I have European heritage as well, but what's really important is that Aboriginal kids are connecting with other Aboriginal kids.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, um. For myself, I don't look like a, a Maori person either. I'm one of those white ones, but uh, I connected with my culture when I was um, 13. And all throughout high school, we were in a kapa group, a dance group. And it solidified to me, even though I wasn't learning my own tribes, songs and narratives, it gave me a sense of identity. And that's that's basically what you're giving these kids is... You're letting them know who they are. They are a people and a part of a people. And if they want to delve further into who they are, then eventually they'll go back to their own country and and, and talk to their elders and aunties and uncles and, and find out more about themselves. So it's a beautiful thing, Candace. You know, you're doing such wonderful work. Thank you. And I what I
1: find really interesting is when we have kids that have come through even the youth choir and are then now at university, you know, we've been going for seven years now. Um, yeah, the, the few of the older kids, it's just a handful, but those that are at uni um, and I've got two that are in different states, they're really proud and they talk about what they've done and their journey. And, um, you know, now one's spoken on Melbourne Radio. We've got another one that's down in South Australia. And they're just really proud and talking and sharing about culture that they know when they're on another, um, like, so mm. someone from here on Yorta Yorta land in Victoria, able Actually, acknowledge um, in a in a safe circle and environment. Actually, able to acknowledge in Yugambeh language speaking where yeah. they are and who they are and identify and blow other people away. And it's like mm. well, it shouldn't really blow you away. It should be something you no. Know. So we use choir as a vehicle to learn culture, to yes. promote youth leadership, to give us Aboriginal language, to connect to our Aboriginality and identity, and. Then we're building this well-being inside ourselves. And some of the young kids, when when they gave me feedback for, for our research about choir, then went, "Well, I'm telling the people that when, when we're performing, I'm telling the people that knew nothing about my culture something about it, and now they know about my culture." So that's <laughs> socio-cultural capital. So it's really amazing what the performing arts actually do.
0: That's right. And it's the, it's the benefits, and that's mm. part of your that was part of your masters doing is, is, is learn, it's um talking about the benefits that those kids now have and for yeah. so doctoral studies and um getting all those protocols and things in place and permissions in place that's going to be a, a bigger benefit to the whole of australia possibly
1: well so um yeah so when i did the the master's research it was really interesting because the parents wanted to give me their opinion of what child was getting out of choir and it was um but i, I thought no i really want it to be the kids because their narrative and it's their story and they're the ones that turn up even though parents sit in choir right up to the side and watch it and it's all part of learning no one's outside the door everyone's inside the door I to, and the parents were really quiet you know but now they're such a a, um, a group of friends yep. you know all connected to each other that everybody is so excited about together or we haven't seen each other even five days, seven days and what's going on. So that's been really important that it's actually the children's voice. Um, they've been able to state and um, and and state their own self-efficacy, which is and what's been going on for them. So that's been really good. But moving forward to my, my PhD, which is the Yadam Gidibar, Singing Indigenous Language Alive, it's really been about connecting to the elders now who have watched me develop the choir, they have, they know about the research, I've spoken to them all, they've been talking about it from, um, you know, since 2007 with me, so it's been a long journey, and um, and many are family members as well, and connected to me somehow, but they're the elders of the entire region, but I didn't just go to one elder, because that's not the way to do it, it's even if, um, so elders that are in different regions, different areas of Yuga Bear country, I have went and spoke to them all, and um, across COVID, which is a little bit difficult and just prior to COVID. And I have an elders document that um, hasn't been seen by, any, um, by a university in its form format before. It is um, after meeting with elders and sitting down and formulating a statement of how I've worked, and then formulating a statement of how the elders want me to work, and then discovering that I actually had to form the Yubeng Bay Youth Aboriginal Corporation because we're talking about collective knowledges, and if we make any profit from collective knowledges, it needs to go back into helping the youth move forward because it's it's that's what we need to do. So then incorporating my corporation, the Yubeng Bay Youth Aboriginal Corporation, and then. Um, and then having those elders' pictures and that one statement word, you know, I've got one one elder um, uncle, not, and Ivan, uh, a Noogie man, has every time he tells me a story or narrative, the first thing he says to me is, do you believe? Are you believing me? When you're ready and you believe, I'll tell you a story. So I wrote beside Ivan the word believe, and then I told him why, and he said, well, that's right, because you have to believe in your culture, you have to believe in the narrative, a bit like a religion, but... It's it's the, it's the knowledge of the land. And so and then I have a word for each of the Elders and then the ways that they want me to work and signatures and agreed upon an authorised document by Elders for the songwoman to work in this way. I never really started calling myself a songwoman until I was talking to one of the Elders and um, about just maybe two years ago, um, Uncle Ted Williams. And I said, Ted... I would like to call myself the song woman. And he said, what do you mean you'd like to call yourself? You've been our song woman for a very long time. You are the song woman. We've been putting you on this path for a long time. Um, you just need to be confident to call yourself that. And it's the same with um, auntie. So I've never put myself out there as for the, the children judge judge to call me auntie at all, even though that's a term of respecting community. But there was a point a couple of years ago when um, yeah, one of the families of many children, lots of kids in foster care that come to choir, they started calling me auntie. And I had a chat to my dad and I said, I don't know that I'm comfortable being called auntie. He said, it's not up to you. If the kids start calling you auntie, it's a sign of respect. And it's exactly you're giving them what they need and you're helping them. But look, we don't just use choir as a forum to learn culture Um we have conversations about how are you going in English? How are you going in science? How's your math going? Oh, one of the older students is going to come and tutor you in math or English or something else because you need to be passing every subject. You need to be considering what's your path in the future. I'm having these conversations when they're 12 and 13 years old. <laughs> look at look at this person. She's going to be a doctor, in, you know, in a very at university staying to be a doctor. This person is studying math at university oh you want to do a trade then let's work out how you get there so we're having these conversations and educating families who still haven't got someone that's gone to university or had um, all their certificates for their trade so we're still talking first in family for many of our families um, to step up to trades to step up to university degrees and we're working toward all of that through choir and through our corporation as well
0: Oh my goodness. But that, that's also part of what you do as head of education, uh, Indigenous yeah. education at Binley. Yes, yeah, so
1: I was the head of department of, um, of Indigenous Centre or Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander perspectives, bit of a mouthful, at Binley and Logan Lee High School. Um, I've been at Binley for nearly three years now. I let Logan Lee go back a year ago because I needed, um, Griffith University offered me a Enough for a scholarship yes, yes, yes. to be able to continue my academic works. They recognize that it's important and I really needed some time to get it done. So, um, but I also assist the principals across the, the 13 schools of the Enable region. At, um, in Logan, the principals of the high schools and I, I regularly go and meet the principals cluster group on the Gold Coast, and we talk about Indigenous perspectives, and we talk about how we how your teachers embedding it, and we have conversations about where are your champions, where are your leaders, um, what are your Indigenous students doing, what are all the services and the pathways for every individual student. So we we have lengthy conversations about making systemic. Um, and sustainable change for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students in our region.
0: Oh my goodness. You are just part of this female um, movement, I feel, that is stepping up and stepping forward for Indigenous and First Nations people across the world at the moment. It just seems, it seems like it's all this female energy and power and uh, big ups to you. I don't know. Thank you. <laughs> thank you well, you know i actually credit um
1: my my husband and yep. who's been my biggest supporter and advocate who you know we're doing a renovation through all of this as well <laughs> He's up there in the bathroom right now getting it ready for the the time yep. yep. and he gives me the time to go and do it my four children come along this journey and support anything that they can whenever they're free to do it my family are an amazing powerhouse behind me but i watched my dad um do this and my, my mum has two aboriginal children and she's not an aboriginal woman herself she's an old queensland family um and they I, when my dad i'm 48 now and when my dad was in his mid-40s he went and made change he stepped out of being a teacher and he went into aboriginal child care agency in brisbane and led that then he went into at and i watched him go and um, lead the community up in Torres Straits and lead the community out at Maroma and then move to Canberra. And my mum has supported him the whole way along. Like My family have been a bit of a backbone for the Kupermary people in establishing themselves as corporations as well. You know, I grew up as a kid having everybody at my house having these meetings and moving culture forward. It's something that I've always seen. Um, it's something that I've always known. And yeah, I am a strong woman stepping forward and, and letting the children see it. But at the same time, the community have come forward with me. And it's the community that are around me that helped me do all of this. They're very supportive and they're involved in everything that we do. And that's really what it comes down to. They, I enjoy it. Um, I can be so tired on a Friday afternoon um, after work or, and, and i like, oh, I've got to go to choir. Like everybody, you know, oh, I've got to go to rehearsal. And I get there and COVID it was hugs and let me tell you about my week and I won this or I won that or someone's, you know, got a major year 11 assignment in and they got it done and it was all done. On so it's really amazing um, what Community Lift give me back as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, from that, would would you say it's mostly family that have ended up being your mentors or, or teachers along the way? That have what and what advice? Who, who are your mentors? Who are your favorite teachers? Um, but also, what lessons have they given you that you still hold on to today? Um, so
1: I have always enjoyed my conversations with Auntie Rose. Not and um, and. Patricia O'Connor so um, both first cousins to each other and both my grandfather's first cousins and those two women alongside the conversations with my father um, are, when it comes to Aboriginal culture have taught me so much and really moved me forward when it comes to my academics I um, I have uh, two very strong women that have supported me through. Professor Sarah Baker, she's in humanities and she works in popular music um, and with girls as well, and about in that field. And um, then Associate Professor Michelle Whitford and Michelle um, had um, and both non-Aboriginal women, not Aboriginal, but um, Michelle started out as a dance educator, and then um, and Michelle met me along my journey and. Just said, I love what you're doing. I might be off doing these things at university, but, um, and you know, and she does amazing things at university and, and is quite high up in her field, but would turn up to choir on a Wednesday afternoon because I was volunteering in two places after school to be able to go to meet the needs of the families because sometimes people don't have fuel to put in their car. So I yeah. can turn up to their region. Um, and Michelle would turn up after whatever meeting she'd had at university, kick off her heels and jump in there to help me to learn choreography, to, to create songs and stories with the kids and get on the floor. And it's these people that have been turned around and gone, how can I help you with your academics? Um, how can I help you move forward? And so when you build a strong connection of community and people around you, um, and then, you know, my husband who and my kids who are so supportive of everything they doing, they're basically, go, mum, get that PhD, you know? and then, And we love that you're out there talking, you know, to you today and telling about what it is we're doing and how we're working. But then, you know, my close friend, um, Paula Neho. So Paula is a Gamilaro woman. Her children have come to choir. She's helped me um, establish the Youth, the Youth Aboriginal Corporation. She's a graphic artist as well as being, working in health, as well as being a push-tucker woman. She's someone just like me. Yeah. And, yes. you know, we, we're closest of friends and also we're passionate about sharing aboriginal culture and knowledge so i have built this um support network around myself that i can pick up the phone and tell any one of those people when i'm having a bad day and they Mm. can say to me and we can all just talk it out and move forward and all of these things are really needed the performing arts is um, brutal at times you know you uh i've had to teach the kids and this is something that i grateful that we've learned because it sets them up for life when we go and do a live performance no performance ever runs like the rehearsal nothing ever goes right it, it, it's a great performance but there'll always be something that went wrong it could be that i forgot the lyrics <laughs> and they, because, because i'm thinking of 50 million other things and i'm getting old and and um, and they go "Yeah, calm down it's okay um, or it could be that um we don't ever perform to a backing track, we always perform to, we've added the element of didgeridoo, even though the instrument isn't from this region, the young men um, really enjoy playing it, and there are men who come and teach them the didgeridoo properly, so that we've added that element. And so maybe the didgeridoo didn't sound right. Maybe the cans in our ears, we somebody couldn't hear. And I have literally seen when I've had 30 kids on a live football field, and most of them are miming, and there's only five kids that are singing for real into those mics. And it's a moment of terror that it's not going to work, but it always comes off. People always love it. And they always understand that it was a live performance as well. We met... Um, Governor-General Peter Cosgrove a number of years ago at um, the International Carers' Conference. And Mm -hmm. he was supposed to be, you know, we we hopped up and we did the welcome and we did our first performance and then... um, he was, he was sitting at a table with, with dignitaries and we went out the back and then we were done and we were ready to go home. But he came straight out the back and he said, I don't care that I need to be out there. I want to spend time with you in here. I want to know more about what you're doing. I want to know more about how Australia can help you. That was a number of years ago and it was really when we just started and I wasn't at that point to know what to ask for. And, you know, quite frankly, I'm never really at that point to know what yeah. to ask for next. We've only just applied for our very ever first attempts at um, getting some funding from the arts. We've never done that before. We've we've um, donated our time as volunteers. The community around us, the kids that come to choir, um, donated their times. We did get um, the Eagle Museum when we were with them, were able to help, but we grew bigger than what the Eagle Museum could actually do, which is why we incorporated ourselves. Um, but they were able to get a little bit of funding to help us with our uniforms. But, you know, the kids have already grown out of them in a couple of years. So we're now looking... Um, trying to create something that's also sustainable, but then COVID hit and now we just have to wait and move forward mm. as everyone else does, which is all fine. Um, we just accept it what it is. But it's those moments where I go back to that live performance where nothing ever goes right. But, so it will go right, but something will go wrong. Or something, will, <laughs> go wrong. something will go not as planned. Yes. So if, if you're ready for something that will not go as planned, how does that set you up when you have to do a speech? You have to present at an assembly when you are presenting for a job interview. All these other things. And also, um, you know, you, you turn up to choir after school in your school uniform or your casual clothes. But when we go to performance, this is how you do your hair, this is how you do your makeup. If you're allowed to wear makeup, because I only let girls at a certain age in high school actually put makeup on. If we're doing traditional artwork or ochre, what does it look like? what are we wearing, how are we presenting, and, and we're ready to go. And all of those performance etiquette, yep. as we know, and there's plenty of research as well, but it sets you up for pathways for life.
0: Yep. And also dealing with those um, little oddities that happen in live performance, it's teaching resilience. Yes. Uh, and for when those things do go wrong, if something doesn't mm. go your way, how do you then mm. overcome that um, and keep going because mm. it must go on? It, it, it's a big part of resilience so um yeah totally understand everything that you're um saying so uh how, how do the kids how do the kids um well what's what's the plans for them for the future what's the plans for Bear youth what's the big dream for the choir Oh, oh gosh, we had one of our dreams that
1: was meant to happen this year. We were invited to. We we applied. Um, we were recommended by someone to apply to perform at the International Society of Music Education ISME conference in Helsinki, and oh. we, got so yes. we were accepted. So we were meant to perform there this year in Finland, and that was that was a dream. So that mm. was. Um, so now, out of COVID, right now. Um, one of my big dreams is to have one of our songs being go national and that's happening in 2 days time yes. so you know that's um that's a big dream so where to from here for the kids um for them i just want them to keep going on the pathway i don't want them to keep enjoying and get enjoyment out of it and um, keep wanting to, you know, we had to do some filming on the beach for our um, song that's coming and they just had so much fun with each other on the beach. You know, they still got their little terrified faces on when the camera's put in front of them. Um, But it was like, relax, enjoy it. You know, I'm asking you to be up at five o'clock in the morning and meet me on the beach for sunrise. And there they all were, Mm -hmm. Um, groaning and moaning, but they were there and they were dressed (laughs) and they were ready. And then you know, so it's really quite incredible, um, really. And uh, where to for me? So once I launch a few more songs and have things, I I would just love to think that whilst I put Yagan Bear songs there, maybe there's someone sitting in a different Aboriginal or Torres Strait Island community around Australia that's been thinking something similar and wants to move forward from here and uh, have have those conversations. And begin to, if we publish Aboriginal music, mm. do we have permission from elders? Do we know the narrative? Do we know the storyline? Have we got it right? Do do the are you following the correct protocols? And and is the community happy? And are there Aboriginal, Torres Strait Aboriginal, or Australian people actually knowing and learning those songs, not just non-Aboriginal people? So you know when we sing a song alive, is it being sung by the Aboriginal people that live in that region as well as being sung by the schools as well? That's really important too because, that, like you said really earlier, that's that connection to your identity and it's the connection to the land and it's the connection to knowing what's going on on the land. So that's, that's an important part too. So I don't know, I dream pretty big and... Um, <laughs> It's all happening. It it seems sometimes I think it seems to take a really long time and go slowly, but something shifts every single day. It's just that the wider world don't see that.
0: Uh it could be that with your with your doctorate, that could be the the sort of the template then for that's what I'm
1: hoping. And so the yeah, the elders document that I have is really a template for working with. Working with Aboriginal community, that's template, but it also sets it up to demonstrate how uh, non-Indigenous people can also do the same. So mm. ethically, there's a there's a model of working, the Solomon's model of working. Um, so it's a it's an ethical methodology in both senses that it's here's how you should be working with community and this has worked for me and community, I'm so happy to support this work. And then it's the work of the song woman. What have I had to do? Where have I had to go and source those pieces from? Um, so, yeah, there, there's just so many different places and, and not just relying on one source, looking to where that source came from. How far down can we dig to find each layer of where a source came from and move it forward. And then it's also then working with community and what they want to actually hear. Because despite the work that I do with the Yugambeh Youth, Youth Choir, it's not the same as what I do out in, um, as a teacher and out in my schools. So the school choir have picked up um, the national anthem. We have a huge culture day coming, um, but many of the kids are only just stepping into knowing their identity. So it's smaller steps, answering questions, um, getting information out there and then moving forward. So, you know, the kids that are in my choir have been on this journey with me every week, um, you know, 40 weeks of the year for seven years. And so they know so much. They don't realize how much they know, but they actually do formally know that they're learning Aboriginal culture. Whereas the kids at school who, um, you know, I'm only there a couple of days a week and we're not, and it's all about um, how you're going with your schoolwork and how you're going with your literacy and numeracy and sciences. Um, before it is, let's let's talk about culture, but we do talk about culture as well.
0: We really need um, for myself and and knowing the the New Zealand sort of school system, where Maori uh, song and dance and language is a big part of um, the school life for a child over there what we need that same thing here so so much with the yugambeh anthem is that one that is shared in that lang- in yugambeh language around
1: so a- i've done the hard yards on that the national anthem in yugambeh language so it was formally translated and handed to Queensland parliament in November of 2011 Wow! Um, because when we went to the World Choir Games at the school, we were able to take the anthem and sing it in one of the friendly concerts, not as part of a competition set. Mm-hmm. When I was there, my parents came along as a chaperone because my own, two of my older children actually went on the excursion as well, the overseas trip, and um, my dad hadn't heard the anthem in language and I was conducting it. And then after we were in the Cincinnati, Ohio airport, because it's such a massive, almost shopping centre, it had this area for a stage and hundreds of people were watching us sing. And after we performed and the kids were getting ready to go off do something else, I said to my mum, oh, where's dad? And um, she said, oh, your father's just off over there. I said, oh, is he all right? Oh, she said, oh, just saw a bit of a tear in his eye. And when I spoke to him, he said it was so beautiful and I hadn't heard it. And I knew that you had something like that planned, but I hadn't heard it. It was just amazing and it. I recognised my language and I heard it and I knew then that it was really powerful. And then um, what I decided to do was just, um, whenever I was invited to do anything, would also say, and would you like to learn the national anthem in their language? So I just started teaching it. And yeah. a music teacher knew me and said, can you come do this. I would just pop over to their school and, and teach it. So I estimate in the 180 schools that are in Yugambeh region, that more than half of them now know the, the National the Academy language and sing it every week at their assembly and the primary schools in particular do it. I know that the high schools that have it sing it at special assemblies. It's now sung at, we've been singing it for maybe the last five or six years at the Southport Anzac service. Um, I now know um, it's sung at the Dawn service, at both Helensvale services. So it's also a case of, um, because we have this, on ANZAC services as well when it's well the New Zealand anthem is sung in both traditional language and English so yes. we yes. go well, we can do the same in this region for you've been there and people love it and they come you know, i've had hundreds and thousands of people come and speak to me over the years and just say that was wonderful why do we not have more of that now i recognize that I'm, I'm a very forward-thinking modern woman i know that there are people that have issues with some of the words of the anthem particularly the line for we are young and free and that's fine because then that's not the it's not it's a The translation sometimes is literal and sometimes is not. We don't have words for Advance Australia Fair. Instead, we have words for Rise Up Beautiful Country. So that's Mm -hmm. what it is. We have words for... uh our our land is by sea and we have our land is surrounded by sea so that's a literal so sometimes it's literal and sometimes it's not so the anthem in yuganbe translation that yuganbe museum did is really excellent and it does speak to the nation i remember when we sang at the um 2012 nrl indigenous all-stars and that was when we met christine anu and jessica malboy and that was the first time jess malboy heard the anthem sang and she went that's a thing. I didn't know that was a thing. And then the next year, we saw her on Australia Day sing it on top of the Sydney Opera House. Oh, it's on top of the <laughs> Sydney Harbour Bridge. So we went, yay. Whether Jess ever recognises that that's when she first saw it, what we now know is that we affected change right there. Mm. Um, I also know that there are a few other Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander children's choirs that have popped up, but not just that they're Aboriginal kids that are learning to sing because there are a few choirs like that around Australia but doing what we do because music teachers contact me and say we want to sing in the heritage language of this region.
0: Right. Yeah. So
1: one of the free resources that I dropped within the last couple of weeks was my very first resource talking about permissions and protocols and elders' permissions and, and my statement as a songwoman and um, it's freely available and I'll um, send it to you so that you can Anyone else? We haven't got our website up and running yet, um, but I'll send it to you. So if anyone asks, you can have it. It's Mingyangdu. How many? And what we do inquire is as to begin our vocals as we do a vocal warm up, and we sing in language so that the kids are learning to count as well. And we go yabru bula bula yabru bula bula and then we go back down. Now I'm using a Western scale pattern and system to be able to warm up our voices, but what we're learning is the counting system of ones and twos. So one, then a two, then a two and a one, then a two and a two. But then it changes to five because we don't. We're not going to say bula bula yabu. We're just going to say five dungun. The word for hand. You have a handful. Uh-huh. So all of a sudden, you're in an Aboriginal counting system. So that you understand when ones and twos and. So I've put all of that together. For the Aboriginal Corporation to send out to music teachers um, with some samples of vocal exercises with cultural permissions and protocols and how to perform it, where really to perform it. And what I really hope is that someone sends me an email and says, I'm a music teacher in Western Australia on whatever country, or I'm in, yeah, anywhere in Australia. And so I went and found out what the words are for one, two, five, or the counting system that's used here, and I've put into it, and I've gone and spoken to an elder, and they've said, how fantastic. I've spoken to the school principal who connected me to a community who said, how fantastic. So that this is an example of what you can do, and this is how I've worked to make this move forward. So that's an easy one, and a, and a free resource, but really what I intend to do is, we do have there are a couple of ways of working. So there's I don't want to use the word traditional and contemporary, but I certainly know that it helps people understand what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So I really like to say that abor- Aboriginal music is past, present, and future. So it's, if it's a narrative and a song about land and it communicates something in language, even if it's in English and it moves you forward, then it's Aboriginal music. So, But if we think about songs that are very old and people like to use the word traditional, we still have some of those songs that we're singing back alive now. Then we have songs that were passed down that have music anymore. So we knew that they were songs and we have the words, but we have to give it a new melody, which is what the Morning Star and Evening Star will be in, in a couple of days' time when it's launched with Amy B. And then we have songs that are newly composed as the songwoman or as kids on country who want to tell a narrative and use language and um, use and in a certain style. And people call that contemporary, but it's really Aboriginal music if it's still telling the. A narrative and and a song and whatever going forward. So these are the different ways of working and, and, and again, like I just tried, I use, I like to just say Aboriginal music um, because that's what it is. Yeah, so it's, it's certainly really interesting and that's how we're working and that's what we're doing and I just want to share this message quite frankly across Australia because this works.
0: Yes, I, I think it should be heard across Australia but I, I just definitely think that you are setting the bar for what will be happening. And and you talk about your big dream of the same thing happening on country in the different regions of Australia um, that I can see it happening. It's going to be coming true.
1: Congratulations. And, uh, and, you know, I'm just really happy to keep working where I am right here in my space and new ways of working. And then if somebody wants to come along and um, take that and go this is what you've done, I took that to this community and we had to go this way because this is what worked. Then that's great. Or we started here and we've grown it, or we've had to go this way. It doesn't matter. It's more about that you begin. It's more about that you begin looking for songs. So um, I am um, very shortly going to begin working on a research project with um, University of Sunshine Coast, uh, with Rachel Dwyer up there, and looking at my methodology and then can we do that up on um, country for Sunshine Coast and um, Gabby Waka Waka region. Yep. So we are going to begin to look at that, but really that's still within Southeast Queensland. And you yep. know, the song line mm. Gare Name around Australia. That songline was sung all around Southeast Queensland. So all of our different tribes all knew it when they went every three years to the Bunya Festival. So I haven't stepped too far outside of yep. my own language region because while I'm stepping out of my language region, this. Going is actually common words of many language regions from the groups that all went there. So it's still within um, possum skin drumming region. It's still within um, no traditional did you do. It's still within boomerang, clapping and playing. So I'm still within my region, but just stepping out just a little bit. But also, you know, I'm not going to push this on to anyone. People need to uh, get to this point when they're ready. And like, it's taken me enough time for my own journey to get here. So you, you need to be ready to take this step.
0: Yeah. Um, so just to, to wrap up this wonderful conversation, what, well, I guess you, you basically said it is to be ready to, to step up when you're ready. But what, what advice would you give to young teachers, young music teachers or Aboriginal teachers out there that want to get started just like you? I say
1: have a go. Um, people are really, really worried about getting it wrong. So that, that that first document. So have a read of that. Give that a go. Don't be afraid to get it wrong. You know, somebody said to me, um, the question was one of the pre-service teachers who was having a look at it said, um, can I play this with my string quartet and I said my straight you, you know young string orchestra and I said well it's really this resource that I'm giving you is western music western scale music but it's it's incorporating um aboriginal language and accounting system so if you want of course you can use any scale pattern that you like but if you really want to incorporate the aboriginal perspective then put your violins down and sing it because it's really good for kids for oral training as well. Plus they're engaging. So we don't just have to be in a choir. We don't have to be in the classroom. You can engage with your orchestral instruments as well. If you put it down, you sing along, um, you speak the language. Musically, we can engage in so many different ways. So it's about having a go, thinking outside the box. Um, and and, And if you make a mistake, acknowledge it and move forward. It's really okay. But you, you have to be willing to have a go.
0: Well, Candice, thank you very much for speaking with us today at the Australian Performing Arts Teachers Association. We look forward to hearing Morningstar, Star with the AME, AMEB online orchestra with releasing their song uh, for 2021. Um, yes. You're doing so much good work. Thank you. Thank you enough for speaking to us. And I'm going to... Keep my eye on you and seeing what you're up to and um, look forward to everything you do in the future. Lovely Wendy. Thank you. To keep updated on the work of Candice Kruger and the Yugambeh Youth Choir, head to apata.com.au where you'll find links to the podcast and article and links to everything that uh, Candice does. And don't forget, uh, we have a few announcements as we wrap up today's session. We don't want to hog the mic. If you have an idea or topic or conversation you'd like to share, we're all ears. Contact us through apata.com.au or through your members' dashboard and word to the wonderful world of performing arts. Keep it up. Break a leg. Stay safe. Stay sane. Stay well.